The Holy Gospel according to Mark. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with them. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, (laughs) You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with them and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl. Get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to Christ. You may be seated. this microphone a good distance right here? Okay. Well, I understand that Pastor Smuts does not stay back here for the sermon, right? I also understand that he doesn't use notes for his sermon. 
Am I close enough for you here, or do you want me to walk in the up front with my notes? You know, I'm okay? Okay. God bless Pastor Smuts for his abilities. <clears throat> Would you pray with me? Oh God, our maker and our redeemer, our sustainer, our lover, be with us on this morning as we gather to be members of your church and hearers of your word. Amen. Being as, as Pastor Matt asked me to come preach here at Grace on the very first day of my employment at Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary, before I've had the chance to report there for duty, before I've even been able to move into my office, but by the way, I am very happy to be here, you have got me kind of in between things. Two weeks ago, my wife Mary and I were saying goodbye to Trinity Lutheran Church in Oakland, where one or another of us has served for 16 years straight. Seems like a long time. And it was a delightfully long period of ministry and joy and sorrow and resurrection. So if you'll excuse me, I'm as much as where I've been as where I'm going to at this point. Along that line nine years ago, when the text for today also appeared in the lectionary, I took the story of the healing of Jairus' daughter and the woman with the unremitting blood flow and made them into a drama in our sanctuary. Actually, it was not as much of a drama as it was a reenactment. Because people who were in that pews, unsuspecting that morning, without advance warning, were asked to volunteer to be the various characters in that story. Jesus the disciples, Jairus, the hemorrhaging woman, the crowds, Jesus' dead daughter, the mourners. It was all very basic. I served from the pulpit as narrator and cure of lines, that it is, I would give them their lines right before they were to say them, and they would repeat them in turn. In addition, there was movement. The center aisle served as the road that Jesus was traveling on his way to Jairus' house, the rear of the sanctuary was Jairus' home, from which the mourners got put out at one point, perhaps for laughing at Jesus, I don't know. There could have been no drama that was simpler, no props, no special lighting, no practice. And yet, something profound happened that morning. The man who played Jesus, could have been a woman, I don't care, there was no gender preference here, but happened to be a man. That man was a seminary student's husband, a kind of a young philosopher and a math tutor, who when he came to Trinity a year or so earlier told us that, well, he didn't really consider himself to be a Christian exactly, and could not bring himself to say the words of the creeds at the times that we included them in the worship service, and yet he was happy to be there as an experienced actor, actually, a joyful fellow, a talented singer, he was the one that volunteered to be Jesus that morning. The person who came to be the nameless woman with the flow of blood was a longtime member of a congregation, a Lutheran from her birth in Minnesota. And even though she was long removed from Minnesota, she still talked like a Minnesotan. She was a person who had recently experienced the deaths of both her first and second husbands. 
who had her own bouts with health issues, but who also is a kind of survivor, a, well, in the nicest way, a party animal, a woman of possibility thinking, of good cheer, a great and able cook. She usually handled things by taking them by the horns. It was these two who were the main part of the middle of that sandwich story of the gospel, of Jesus going through the crowd, having spontaneously accepted the pleading invitation of Jairus to attend his dying daughter, who was in turn touched by this woman. These two went through the dialogue as it was. Who touched my clothes? And then the woman falling down in fear and trembling and telling Jesus the whole truth, that part was played out well. She followed all of the actions at which he who was playing Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And the woman, the Trinity woman, who could have actually fallen down in actuality as he heard, she heard these words from a half-believer acting the role of Jesus. Because she truly heard those words at that moment, on that morning, as coming from Jesus himself. She felt Jesus' love and care reaching her as if there was no space or time. In fact, as she alluded to many times after that, she was strangely and wonderfully affected by a simple reenactment on Sunday morning. That is the power of our stories and of Jesus' connection across the millennia. That is the power of our desire for healing and what can happen with the slightest touch. It doesn't take a brilliant preacher for the word of God to come alive. And it doesn't take a talented healer for bona fide healing to take place. I don't know most of you at all. I know Miriam now, and Tim, and Elizabeth that much. And you introduced yourself to me, but I can't remember your name. Dave, that's right. Thank you. But I suspect if I asked around, I would find out that many of you have experienced this graceful, powerful healing in your lives. Those stories don't get shouted around much, nor do they get printed up in paper or in the cyber world much, but they do happen. Those stories of healing could be a diagnosis of cancer that doesn't show up at second inspection or in surgery. It could be about a marriage that ends in divorce only to find out that the two come back together and get married again. It could be a reconciliation between parent and child or a pairing of a job seeker with a job opportunity. It could be a release from persistent anxiety or a near-death experience that brings a new sense of purpose. The healing could be taunts that are returned with soft words, or the lifting of a terrible burden, or the turning of a human heart. 
If anything, listening and regarding the marvelous stories in our Bible gets us ready to notice things and people we wouldn't otherwise pay attention to. The cry of the oppressed, the person in need in our own neighborhood, the power of gratitude. That seminary spouse who played Jesus that day eventually asked to be baptized at Trinity, which we did gladly. I wish I could take credit for it. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? Did you know that pastors keep scorecards of adult baptisms? They don't. But it might not have been anything that we did that caused him to want to be baptized other than to welcome him, to be delighted in him, and then to stand back as God's work was done in, through, and around him. You see, the actual pouring of water on his head, and I, by the way, I love your magnificent baptismal font. I want to play in it. That actual point was not his point of conversion, but as we say in Lutheran circles, it was an outward sign of an inward reality, a reflection of what had already happened in his life. There's probably a lot more to be said about this gospel lesson story. Maybe it could be about Jesus' willingness to be interrupted along his way, not only once but twice, Or we could talk about the woman with the flow of blood finally confessing the whole truth to Jesus and him actually listening. Or we could talk about Jesus was busy raising people from the dead before he was raised himself. Or we could talk about the importance of touch and kind words and faith. Any of these subjects would make a wonderful sermon. But on this morning... You all are imprinted on me now as my first congregation to speak with in my new position as director of seminary relations. I am reminded of the sacred treasure we all carry in our lives. This is what binds us together, the power of being sons and daughters of the living God with all that that entails. I'm reminded that this seminary that I'm going to go to is primarily tasked with reinforcing the concept, the theological concept, after which this congregation was named. If I could rename a congregation, I would name it Grace Lutheran Church. And that seminarians are being formed to reflect God's grace in their leadership. And that because of God's love, Toward us, we may expect to receive grace upon grace. I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel here, not the name it and claim it theology, but rather the simple, astonishing blessings we encounter as disciples of the God of Jesus. It's like that commercial that I've seen a few iterations from. Not that I watch too much television, but I think it must show up on the A's games or something that commercial for some alternative way to receive television programming that describes what proceeds from getting a too-high cable bill, 
One guy channels his frustration into learning karate, after which he decides to become a superhero, and you can imagine it ends up badly, right? Except that in our case, the snowball of consequences leads to in, us into experiences characterized by kindness and forgiveness and surprise and delight over and over and over. This is our life. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I might have decided to preach on the second lesson which Dave read, in which the Apostle Paul tries every method to get the Corinthian Christians to contribute toward the welfare of the believers in Jerusalem. A great stewardship text, perhaps one of the best in the Bible for encouraging financial support of a seminary, but I think I'll save that for the next time you invite me here. God bless you. Amen.